beautiful. Stand with me if you would. Open your Bibles to Psalm 18 this morning, Psalm 18, and we'll begin right at the beginning of the psalm. We're going to be here for the next three weeks, Psalm 18, and then following this three-week series, we will, um, I'm going to be preaching a series entitled Fear Factor, and uh, I'm not going to be eating any spiders or worms or anything like that, but we're talking about the power that fear has in people's lives and how we can be free from that. Psalm 18, and we'll begin in verse 1. I will, actually, I want to read, it's not up on the screen, but I want to read to you the superscription of Psalm 18. It says, to the chief musician, a Psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and so shall I be saved from my enemies. Pangs of death surrounded me, and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God, and he heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him even to his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He, that is God, bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and flew. Flew upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. Verse 12, from the brightness before him is... Thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered His voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out His arrows and scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance, and He vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered at Your rebuke, O Lord, the blast of the breath of Your nostrils. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity. How many are thankful for this? But the Lord was my support. In verse 19, he also brought me out into a broad place, and he delivered me because he delighted in me. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence to work in a very powerful way in these next few moments. You are our strength, you are our refuge, our fortress, you are the rock upon which we stand, you are our anchor in the storm. And I pray, Lord, today that no one that is here or is listening online would walk away from this message without the absolute certainty that they can depend upon you. You are their strength. Help us to understand the fullness of that truth and worship you appropriately and serve you appropriate 
to that strength that you provide. Help me to speak not a single word of my own. I pray, God, for your anointing, not because I deserve it, as I pray every week, not because I've earned it, but because I need it. Anoint me to speak your word with clarity and with integrity, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The author and pastor, many of you have read some of his books before John Ortberg told this story. He was actually told this in a sermon that he titled, Big God, Little God. And um, it's kind of a humorous story. He said, many years ago, I was walking in Newport Beach, a beach in Southern California with two friends. Two of us, Ortberg said, were on staff together at a church and one was an elder at the same church. We walked uh, down along the beach past a bar where a fight had been going on inside. The fight had spilled out into the street, just like in an old Western. Ortberg said several guys were beating up on another guy and he was bleeding from the forehead. We knew we had to do something, so we went over to break up the fight. And then Ortberg says, I don't think we were very intimidating. He said, all we did was walk over and say, hey, you guys cut that out, but it didn't really do much good. And he said, then all of a sudden, they looked at us with fear in their eyes. The guys who had been beating up on the one guy stopped and started to slink away. I didn't know why till we turned around and looked behind us. Out of the bar had come the biggest man I've ever seen. He was something like six feet, seven inches, maybe 300 pounds, maybe 2% body fat. He was just huge. And Orberg said, we called him Bubba, not, not to his face, but afterwards when we talked about him. Bubba didn't say a word. He just stood there and he flexed. You could tell he was hoping they would try and have a go at him. All of a sudden, my attitude was transformed and I said to those guys, you better not let us catch you coming around here again. <laughs> he said, I was a different person because I had great big Bubba. I was ready to confront with resolve and firmness. I was released from anxiety and fear. I was filled with boldness and confidence. I was ready to help somebody that needed helping. I was ready to serve when serving was required. Why? Because I had a great big big bubba. And I was convinced that I was not alone. I was safe. He goes on to say, if I were convinced that Bubba was with me 24 hours a day, I would have a fundamentally different approach to life. If I knew Bubba was behind me all day long, you wouldn't want to mess with me. But he's not, because I can't count on Bubba. Again and again, the writers of Scripture pose this question for us. How big is your God? Again and again, we are reminded that one who is much greater than Bubba has come. And you don't have to wonder whether or not he will show up. He is always there. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live your life in hiding. You have a great big God, and he's called you to do something. So get on with it. How many are thankful for the great big God that we have? That's really at the core of what Psalm 18 is all about. Again, I want you to note the superscription on the psalm. We now have it on the screen. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. 
Now, what is unique about this particular psalm, Psalm 18, is that it can be found nearly word for word in 2 Samuel 22. If you look at 2 Samuel 22 and Psalm 18, they are almost exactly the same thing. It, this psalm is preceded by several different events in the life of David. It is a psalm of exuberant thanksgiving. It clearly is chronicling the life of David because when you read the psalm, David is fighting on his feet. He is, he is walking. He is moving about. Later, the kings are on chariots. David is not on a chariot. He is actually fighting in his hand-to-hand combat. God had given David many victories. Victories over Saul. Victories over his own son who tried to usurp his authority, Absalom. Remember the victory over Goliath with with just a single stone taking out the Philistine giant. He had victories over the Arameans and the Moabites, the lion and the bear. David had experienced many close calls with death, but God every time had been his strength. And so here in this psalm, he is giving thanks for the strength that God had provided for him. Certainly, everyone in this room, if you are thinking spiritually at all, know that we are in a battle. The spiritual journey that we are in is an ongoing battle. Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But we are wrestling against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And then Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. In his book, um, no country for old men. Some of you think I just sit around and read commentaries, but every once in a while I actually read a fictional book, and it it was not one that I would necessarily suggest. There was a lot of blood and a lot of guts in it, but it was kind of a fun read early in the morning to kind of be a diversion. Um, But you may have read the book, No Country for Old Men. Cormac McCarthy is the author. And in this book, he um, chronicles one of his characters, Sheriff Val. Sheriff Val explains his return to the childhood belief in a real devil. And here's what the sheriff said, I think if you were Satan and you were sitting around trying to think up something that would just bring the human race to its knees, what you would probably come up with is narcotics. I think all of us even understand that. Maybe he did, he said. Sheriff Val said, I told that to somebody at breakfast the other morning, and they asked me if I believe in Satan. I said, well, that ain't the point. And then, I said, I, they, and then they said, I know, but do you? I had to think about that. I guess as a boy, I did. Then come the middle years of my belief, I reckon I waned somewhat. But now I'm starting to lean back the other way. Satan explains a lot of the things that otherwise don't have any explanation. I think all of us recognize that. Look at me for just a moment. We have a real enemy. How many believe that? We have a real enemy. We have real battles. We have real warfare. But the Lord is our strength. Psalm 18 unpacks that truth so beautifully. So for the next three Sundays, we're going to look at what that statement means. The Lord is my strength. He protects us today. 
He equips us. Look at that next Sunday. And he exalts us. Look at that in the final Sunday. Today the Lord is our strength. He protects us. I'm going to talk about five aspects of that protection that are clearly seen in Psalm 18. And the first of that is his ear is inclined to our cry. That's a powerful truth. His ear is inclined to your cry. David said in Psalm 18 and verse 3, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I'll be saved from my enemies. And he says in verse 6, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and I cried to my God and he heard my voice from his temple. How many are thankful God hears us when we cry? Clearly, David was confident that when he called out, when he cried out, when he prayed, that God would hear him. Elsewhere, David had penned these words. He said, I love the Lord, Psalm 116, because he's heard my voice and my supplications. Because, look at this, he has inclined his ear to me. And because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore, because of that, I'm going to call upon him as long as I live. He was so confident because God had inclined his ear to him. David said, I'm going to keep calling on him because his ear is inclined to me. Inclined his ear is the Hebrew word natah. And it, it, it literally means to stretch out to decline, to bend down. The picture is an intentional effort that God makes to hear even the faintest cry of his children. Really, the picture is if God has to, he'll get down on the ground and he'll listen over a pit that we are in. He will incline himself to our cries. He listens that closely. There was a 2020 article in the Atlas Obscura. And in that article, Zanara Rathneke writes this little story. It's an interesting story. She writes, in the Indian village of Kongthong, which is not far from the border of Bangladesh, Shidiap Kongsti sings a soft melodic tune. It sounds like a lullaby a mother would sing to a crying baby. Seconds later, she hears a tune in reply, and her nephew comes running toward her. The tune is much more than an idle melody. For centuries, these villagers have used tunes as their names. Mothers give each newborn a distinctive melody within a week of their birth. The Indian village only encompasses about 130 households. It's a small area. Locals never reuse the same tunes, even after a person dies. Shidiap said, we don't know how it began. Our forefathers used these tunes when they went hunting, but it's highly likely the tradition has practical roots. Tunes carry over distances better than names do. Opposite Shidiep's house, a 50-year-old mother of seven runs a grocery shop. In the article, she says, I know most people's tunes. When little children run past her shop, she sings their tune lovingly. The village has a population of about 700, and she believes that she knows about 500 different melodies. Shidiep concluded with this about her four children. When they were babies, I sang a tune to send them to sleep. And that became their name. Only mothers can give their children these tunes. It is out of a mother's love. 
There's a little verse in Zephaniah 3.17 that says the Lord rejoices over us with singing. He sings his song into our hearts and we cry out. And how many are thankful he knows your voice? Aren't you thankful for that? He knows when you are crying. He is inclined to it. He stretches out and listens for us as we fight our battle. When David was in battle with Saul, when he was in a cave running from Absalom, when he stood before the Philistine giant, God heard his cry. So David said, the Lord is my strength because he inclines his ear to my cry. Secondly, the Lord is our strength because his attention is directed toward us. It, toward us. it may seem familiar or similar, but there's a little different nuance to this. Look at what David says in the second part of Psalm 18:6. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him even to his ears. He heard my voice from his temple. The White House is an important place. Important person lives there. Every four years or every eight years, that important person changes. But it's a, it's a person that's important. It's someone that we honor. It's someone that has prestige. In the temple of heaven, God reigns. He's important. He's powerful. He's majestic. In his temple, he's doing some pretty important things. The Bible says he's upholding the worlds by the word of his power. The Bible teaches us that he is accepting worship from people around the throne who are 24-7 saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. From his throne, he is pouring out his spirit. Psalm 96 verse 10 says, from his throne, he is judging the nations. All of that is going on. But he is still attentive to your voice and mine from his throne. He's not too busy to hear our voice. Somebody say amen if you believe that. He's still attentive to us. Our cry is not lost in the crowd. But all the busyness and all that's going on and the seraphs are flying and the cherub are crying out and he is wielding judgment over the nations. He's pouring out his spirit on those who are crying out to him. He's not too busy to incline his ear to our voice. That's a big deal, folks. The Lord is our strength because he's attentive to us. The book of Hebrews that we studied last year in our Wednesday Bible study teaches us that Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, and the point is he's not after the order of Aaron. The Aaronic priest, you could only be a priest from age 25 to 50, and then you had to retire. And even if you were a priest, you were on a certain shift. And so you would do your shift and someone else would step in to their shift. But Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He never retires and he doesn't take shifts. Aren't you glad for that? So at three in the morning, when you're hurting and you can't call anybody on the phone, you can cry out to him and he is inclined to your voice and he is attentive to you. His attention is toward us. The Lord is our strength. Thirdly, the Lord is our strength because his inexhaustible resources are allocated on our behalf. I really like this one. I'm going to read through these verses quick because they really need to be read through quickly just to catch it. This is what David said in my distress. I called upon the Lord and he cried out to my God and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple. 
My cry came before him even to his ears. And then look what happens. Then the earth shook and trembled. Foundations of the hills are quaked and shaken. God was angry. Smoke went from his nostrils, devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed down the heavens also. And he came down with darkness under his feet. And he rode upon the chair, but he flew. And he flew upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him, his thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. Hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered the foe. Lightnings in abundance, and he vanquished them. And the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. I don't want you to ever read that the same. You know why that all happened? Because David cried out. I need your help, Lord. David cried out, and God went to work utilizing all of his resources. God said, my child needs me, so he shook the earth. He bowed the heavens, and he came down. He rode on a cherub. He sent out hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out arrows, and he scattered the enemy. Psalms is Hebrew poetic language. But it says that God did what it took to scatter the enemy when David cried out. You almost picture God saying to David's enemy, don't mess with my child. He's cried out to me and I'll do whatever it takes to come to his rescue. Not only is he listening and tuned into your cry, he has rescue, he has resources to come to your rescue. The enemy of our souls has many tactics, fear, anxiety, discouragement, doubt, confusion, shame, all to defeat us. But the Lord is our strength. He is our defender. N.T. Wright said this, we are not to be surprised if living as Christians brings us to the place where we find we are at the end of our own resources and that we are called to rely on the God who raises the dead. And Jill Briscoe, the widow of the great Stuart Briscoe, great pastor, said, we can worry or we can worship. Strangely enough, busy people find it a whole lot easier to worry than to worship. The Lord is our strength. We don't need to worry. We need to cry out to him and worship. David worshiped. God was his strength because God allocated all of his resources for David and he does so on our behalf. Number four, Lord is our strength because his promise is realized through hope. David says this, I love this one too. I I guess I love them all, all right? So they're all good points. He also brought me out into a broad place. I want you to catch this. He brought me out into a broad place. In verse six, David cried out in distress. The word distress in verse 6 means a place of confinement. It's a place that is narrow. He was trapped in a corner by his enemy. In Psalm 3, David was in a cave. He was in a place of distress. I cried out in my confinement. I I cried out from the corner I was in. I cried out in the little tiny spot that I'd been shoved into. He cried out, God heard, 
and God unleashed all of his resources on the enemy, and he brought David out into a broad place, which literally means a wide open space. The NIV says a spacious place. The message is a wide open field. There's room to breathe. Your God Moltman entitled his own autobiography, A Broad Place. Elihu said to Job in Job 33, 16, indeed, he would have brought you out of dire distress into a broad place where there is no restraint. God wants his promise of abundant life to be realized in all of us. Look at me, everyone, look at me. He wants us to live in a broad place, to expand our horizons, not to feel confined by the enemy. He wants you to be breathing in the life of the Spirit, not confined by the fear and the lies of the enemy's ploys. He is your strength. He is your protector. He has promised to bring you out into a wide open space where you can experience all that God has for you. In the film, The Shawshank Redemption, many of us have watched that sometimes, might watch that a couple of times a year. It's always on TV. But in the film, Shawshank Redemption, Ellis Boyd, or Red Redding, played by Morgan Freeman, tells the story of Andy Dufresne. He's played by Tim Robbins. He's a young, successful banker. He's wrongly accused and convicted of murdering his wife in 1947. He's convicted to two consecutive prison terms in Shawshank. At one point in the film, the friend is given the task of sorting through a whole load of classical records that were donated to the prison. In the process, he finds and plays a beautiful operatic piece. It was donated, even though it's against prison regulations, he does it anyway. The guard hears him and asks what's happening. Dufresne locks himself in the sound booth and switches on the PA system that reaches the whole prison, the cells, the yard, the hospital. Plays the music full blast through the speakers. Everyone in the whole prison stops what they're doing and listens. And here's where Morgan Freeman comments, I have no idea to this day what those two Italian ladies were singing about. Truth is, I don't even want to know. Some things are left unsaid. I like to think they were singing about something so beautiful that can't be expressed in words. Make your heart ache because of it. I tell you, those voices soared higher and further than anyone in this great place dared to dream. It was like some beautiful bird flapped in our drab little cage and made those walls dissolve away. And for the briefest of moments, every last man in Shawshank felt free. Look at me for just a moment. God wants you to feel free. God wants you to have freedom. He doesn't want you confined in distress. He doesn't want you pushed into a hole defeated by the enemy. He wants to bring you out into a broad place. He wants you to realize that he's brought you into that place, which is a place of freedom and a place of joy. He is our strength. And finally, he is our strength because his delight is toward us. Verse 19, he also brought, us out, brought me out into a broad place. And he delivered me, David said, because he delighted in me. The word delivered is the Hebrew word kaletz. It, it, it means to remove or to draw out. 
pictures a prison of bondage, a cave of despair. David said he drew me out of that. He drew me out of that confinement, brought me out to a broad place. We know that's what Jesus came to do. I came to seek and save that which is lost. I came to preach liberty to the captives whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You don't have to be bound any longer. He came to set you free. Say amen if you believe that. That's what Jesus did. But why did he do that? David said he brought me out into a broad place. He collots. He delivered me. Why? Because he delighted in me. Well, that makes sense for David, maybe. He had a lot of failures, but he was a man after God's own heart, after all. But God doesn't only delight in us, listen to me, and rescue us if we meet a certain standard. If you think that, you've forgotten what Romans 5 says, verse 8. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Somebody say amen if you believe that. He did not die for us and say to us, after you clean yourselves up or get your act together and prove that you're worthy, as if that were possible, then I will rescue you. If God has to rescue us, if God had to rescue us there, where does it imply that we can find hope? God rescued David out of a place of confinement, in bondage. He rescued you and me from our sin, in the filthiness of our sin, at our ugliness. Let me pose a question to you. Could it be that God delighted in us while we were at our worst state? And I would suggest to you that is true. How hard is that to understand? How incomprehensible is the mind of God? How inconceivable is the love of God? How illogical is such a truth that He will delight in us when we are at our ugliest? That makes no sense, but man, is it beautiful. Aren't you thankful for that? Even if we don't understand, dare we believe it anyway? His delight is toward us. The Lord is our strength. He protects us. He delivers us. With the worship team to come, I just want you to sit still just for a moment. I want to read to you a final quote. E.M. Bounds, one of my favorite authors, long since gone to be with the Lord, but writes powerfully on prayer. Bounds wrote this, and I'll close with this. A friend of mine, he said, who was quite a lover of the hunt, told me the following story. Rising early one morning, he said, I heard the barking of a number of dogs chasing a deer. Looking at a large open field in front of me, I saw a young fawn making its way across the field and giving signs that its race was almost run. 
It leaped over the rails of the enclosed place and crouched within ten, ten feet of where I stood. A moment later, two of the hounds came over and the fawn ran in my direction and pushed its head between my legs. I lifted the little thing to my breast and swinging round and round fought off the dogs. Just then I felt that all the dogs in the West could not and would not capture that fawn after its weakness had appealed to my strength. So it is when human helplessness appeals to the Almighty God. I remember well when the hounds of sin were after my soul that at last I ran into the arms of the Almighty God. How many are thankful the Lord is our strength this morning? Father, thank you for your strength and for delivering us from our enemies. Thank you for bringing us out into a broad place. In Jesus' name. as the ocean, bright as rain, this powerful emotion lifts me up above the plain. I never thought I'd go, showing me a grace I never thought I'd know. forgiven sometimes asking why I was chosen to be given you in this life when I feel like I can't go on you deliver me when the Oh, between what I am and where I want to be, you deliver. When I feel like, 
you stand with me? Stand together. Stand and bow your heads, if you would, for just a moment this morning. You, um, you might be here today and have never uh, committed your life to Christ at all. Let's start there. Maybe you just very honestly say, uh, Pastor Kevin, I'm not serving God. Maybe because you don't know how he could delight in you, in your mess, or in the mess that you feel like you've made. Doesn't make sense. I'll give you that. Doesn't make sense how he would delight in me in the mess that I've made and continue to make so many times. But his word is true. He wants to bring you out of confinement, out of bondage, out of a cave, darkness, despair, and discouragement. And he wants to bring you out into a broad place of abundant life where you can know him and experience him every day of your life. If that's you today, if, if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life today, you, you've never said, Lord, I believe you died for me and I receive you as my Lord. I want you to forgive me of my sins. I want you to come and live inside of my life. If you've never done that, but you want to do that today, I just want to invite you right where you're at just to slip up a hand. Nobody's looking. Nobody's moving around. Just slip up a hand right where you're at. Anyone in this place say, I want to know and experience the forgiveness of the Lord my life. I want to be his child. I want to serve him the rest of my life. Anyone in this room that would raise a hand and say, pray for me. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Anyone in this place. Let me ask you a second question then. If you're here today, you're a believer, but you do feel confined. Maybe, maybe confined by your struggle, your sin, your defeat, your bondage, your addiction, your fear, your anxiety. But you feel confined. You, you trust the Lord. And today, you just want to confess by an upraised hand. I believe the Lord delights in me today. And I believe He wants to bring me out. He wants to rescue me from the confinement of my discouragement and despair. And you want us to pray with you. Nobody's looking around, no hand, no, nobody moving, no eyes are open, but would you just slip up a hand right where you're at and say, that's where I'm at today. There are several hands, actually hands all over the place. I want to be brought out into a broad place. I want to experience the freedom that I know Jesus promises to me. Anyone else, just by an upraised hand, right where you're at. Anyone else in this room? Jesus, let's just pray for one another right now. God, I believe. I believe, Lord, that hearts are sincere as they've raised those hands today. And they've said, Lord, I want to come out of my confinement. You are my strength, and I want 
I want David's testimony to be mine. I cried unto you. You inclined your ear to me. God, I want you to unleash all of your inexhaustible resources to stand against my enemy. I want to rest in the victory that I know is mine through Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, for those today that have raised their hands. God, set them free. Let them be brought out into a broad place. God, may they never be confined in that cave of disappointment or fear or failure or sin or anxiety. Again, may they be brought out into a broad place, I pray. We believe that you are our strength and you will do that. And we thank you for that. We thank you for that. We're going to sing this chorus this morning. And it's still early. I did this on purpose. There's time. If you raised your hand, if you didn't raise your hand, would you like to come and have just someone pray with you? If you're in that place today, there's no shame in this. We've all been there. I spent almost a year there several years ago. I know what that's like, but God brought me out of that confinement and he wants to do the same for you. If you'd like someone to pray with you as we sing this, you can come to the front and we'll have people come and pray with you. Let's sing this chorus together. Don't hesitate. If you want to agree with someone, someone to agree with you in prayer that God will bring you out of that place of confinement today, just step out and come. Let's worship the Lord.